0: Hello, and welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose, and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode, we take on a specific possible or not-so-possible future scenario. We always start with a little field trip to the future to check out what's going on, and then we teleport back to today to talk to experts about how that world we just heard might really go down. Got it? Great. This is the last episode of Flash Forward for this season. I'll be taking a little bit of a break and then we'll be back with new episodes in the spring. If you want to keep up with when the show is coming back and what I'm up to, you can follow along on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, whatever you use, we're probably on it. Except for Tumblr. I can't figure out Tumblr because I'm old. Also, I may be heading to a city near you in February as part of a pop-up magazine tour. Okay. Let's go to the future. This episode, we're starting in the year
1: 2074. Hello. Welcome to B2B. I'm Piper, and I will be guiding you through the setup process. B2B is a secure, brain-to-brain communication interface. When you share information or content like ideas, images, and links via B2B, you should think carefully about what you are making public. We may share your private personal information with service providers subject to our obligations consistent with this privacy policy. Please indicate that you have read and agreed to the privacy policy. Now, let's set up your B2B. For setup to work properly, please find a quiet space without any distractions. Sit with both feet on the floor. Place your hands in your lap. Imagine a red square, floating in space. Focus on the square. Now gently move the square to the right. Move the square back to its resting position. Now move the square to the left. Move it back to resting position. Now move the square forward. And back. And finally, move the square towards you. And back. Excellent. Now we will set up your B2B's word map. In order for the device to learn your thought patterns, you'll need to go through a series of mental tasks. Simply follow these voice command instructions. First, think of the letter, capital A, capital A. Great, next, think of the word apple. Now think of the words apple tree. An apple tree. As we continue, you will hear words and I want you to focus on them, and think them for me. A tall apple tree. A tall apple tree in a forest. A tall apple tree in a large forest. I went to the tall apple tree in the large forest. I went to the tall apple tree in the large forest to pick apples.
0: Okay, so this episode we're taking on telepathy. This is one of the most commonly requested features that I get, and it is central to a ton of science fiction and fantasy. The ability to read minds, to communicate mind to mind. That kind of thing. But before we talk about what's possible today and what might be possible tomorrow, I want to share some truly fascinating history with you. Because telepathy is actually a relatively recent term. And the quest for a mind-reading machine actually wound up having a huge impact on science as we know it. So we'll start in the late 1800s. Science is having both an exciting and a terrifying moment. Darwin's theory of evolution is starting to gain traction. Physicists are starting to chip away at explaining how the physical world behaves and why. And educated, high-class men in the United States and England are kind of freaking out.
2: These were very earnest, uh, anxious Victorian gentlemen, I suppose. I'm Roger Luckhurst. I'm a professor at the University of London, uh, and I teach late 19th century stuff, Gothic stuff.
0: Roger also wrote a book called The Invention of Telepathy, 1870-1901, to which is where I learned about most of the history that I'm about to tell you. And in his book, he explains that this is a moment where science is starting to really call into question a lot of the religious traditions that these academic men grew up with. So they're in this weird position. They refuse to accept that God doesn't exist. But they also recognize that the proof is pretty good that a lot of the things they once attributed to God might not have been divinely created. So what they do is basically try to have their cake and eat it too. They try to use science to prove that there are magical spiritual things in the world. And this is where a guy named Frederick Myers comes in.
2: Frederick Myers, who coined the term telepathy in 1882, was a really interesting figure actually. He's someone who was an agonized. Anglican who couldn't quite believe in the conventional biblical version of things and yet couldn't imagine was horrified at the prospect of any other just purely materialistic explanation of the world and one of the things that he ended up doing was was trying to decide to fuse together the new sciences of psychology physics Uh, and biology, with a hope that that would prove a theological truth. So he was really interested in forms of spiritualism, going to seances, in order to get what he thought would be empirical proof of the existence of life after death. And if he could prove that scientifically, then he could get this grand fusion of theology and science, and that would kind of solve all of his problems.
0: As part of this push to make the study of spiritualism more legit, Myers founded an entire journal and research group called the Society for Psychical Research. He and his associates also started renaming things to sound more academic. So instead of calling them haunted houses, they instead called them
2: phantasmogenetic centers.
0: And one of the things that the Society for Psychical Research got super interested in was mind reading. But they couldn't call it mind reading. They had to have a fancy academic name for it. So Myers came up with the word telepathy.
2: Communication between two people outside the recognized channels of sense is how he defined it. Uh, And he came up with the term telepathos, which means from the Greek, distant touch.
0: So Myers and his society of researchers started doing studies on telepathy.
2: So nearly all uh, psychologists in this period were quite interested in this possibility of communicating between uh, minds. But the other group of people were physicists. They had
0: all kinds of theories about how this kind of mind reading might work.
2: People were very interested in a very straightforward thing that, that I think we're still amazed by, which is that you set one tuning fork off at a certain pitch, and if you've got another one... The, way, the sound wave vibrations will start the other tuning fork sounding at exactly the same pitch. So that seems to be communication uh, across distance with no visible means of support. It, it, and, it, and often that was the model for telepathy. So we are like tuning forks. You might have your, your beloved partner you're in total harmony with, all of these metaphors. You, you signal a message, a, a set off your tuning fork, and hundreds of miles away, um, that other tuning fork will, will start chiming with the same pitch. You will receive the message.
0: And I want to be clear here that these were very well-respected and intelligent men, including people whose names you probably recognize.
2: Yes, there are always um, attempts to um, try and record what one chemist uh, William Crookes, called psychic force. He coined this idea that actually what mediums exerted was a kind of psychic force, and he, he set out to measure it so that he 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 built this kind of device which would, in a sense, put the medium into an electrical circuit, uh, and you, um, you'd kind of attach her to batteries, and you could then begin to see uh, what kind of force could be exerted by mind alone. If the name
0: William Crookes sounds familiar, but you can't quite figure out why, it's because he invented the Crookes radiometer, which is one of those really cool things that looks kind of like a light bulb and has a bunch of spinny things inside of it, and they spin when the light hits them. Crookes also pioneered the use of vacuum tubes, and he was really influential in his field. And there are names involved in psychical research that you're even more familiar with.
2: So someone like Thomas Edison is completely open about the fact that, well, if we've got you know the the idea of a telephone, then we're shortly going to get a photophone, which would be you know something like FaceTime a uh, hundred years early. Um, but then also saying that we're we're going to be pretty close to being able to uh, communicate thoughts through. Um, the ether, um, very, very fast, and that actually probably we're going to be able to pick up the recordings of the dead quite soon too. Probably by 1900, telepathy will be proven. You know, that sort of sense of it's just around the corner um, was a very common kind of booster language that you would hear from Thomas Edison or Nikolai Tesla uh, or Alexander Graham Bell himself. Some historians
0: believe that Alexander Graham Bell actually invented the telephone in part because he thought that perhaps he could use it to call up his dead relatives.
2: The first person to hear a message on the end of the telephone, Graham Alexander Bell's assistant, also was a spiritualist medium. So he spent quite a lot of his time listening to the crackles on telephone wires, thinking that they were messages either from the dead or from Mars.
0: And the telephone isn't the only thing that was invented by somebody who was actually trying to uncover the truths of telepathy.
2: One of the most famous would also be Oliver Lodge, the man who accidentally invented wireless radio uh, whilst trying to find and discover telepathy.
0: Even a key scientific method today was actually developed by men studying mind reading.
2: And in fact, you know, the Society for Psychical Research were among the first to be scientists who were doing lots and lots of multiple double-blind tests. In fact, they invented the double-blind test.
0: Today, we look at this stuff and we're like, what the heck are these guys thinking? But honestly, it makes total sense that these scientists believed that they might be able to read minds at this particular point in scientific history. Remember, this is a period where scientists are discovering and manipulating all kinds of invisible forces. Radio waves, sound waves, radioactivity. They had just sent sound through wires for the first time. They had just figured out how to use x-rays to see inside human bodies for the first time. Can you even imagine how incredible that must have been? The idea that the mind or body might generate invisible waves that could be detected was totally reasonable.
2: So they were very willing, uh, these sort of new engineer gods, to really speculate. Um, and telepathy was something that was considered to be proleptic. You know, that is, it's it's a promise. It's just around the corner. If we can find x-rays and we can, you know, in 1896, we can start seeing through our actual flesh to our bones, then there's going to be other forms of dark matter or radiation that is going to be able to communicate thoughts very, very fast. We're going to be able to pick this up. Probably by 1900, telepathy will be proven.
0: And Myers even saw this kind of ability as a form of evolutionary advancement, a technologically aided evolutionary jump for humans.
2: Myers sees telepathy as a fugitive sign of evolutionary advance. So these are moments where we are beginning to, to glimpse the coming uh, evolution of man. So soon, very soon, the next generation may be, um, there will be men that we might consider supermen because they have these new kinds of um, psychic powers.
0: Honestly, that sounds kind of like the way that transhumanists talk about the future of humans. Here's a clip of Ray Kurzweil answering a question about how humans might evolve in the next 100 years.
3: You just as you've gradually become the person you are, I mean, you're not the same person you were when you were a four-year-old girl. But where is that four-year-old girl? I mean, is she gone? Should we mourn her? Uh, Well, no, she's contained in you. You've enhanced yourself to become who you are today. And uh, that's my view of how we'll evolve
4: into really this sort of superhuman state.
0: Just for the record, I did not pick the music under that clip. It came with it on YouTube. Some might argue that today, we're kind of in a similar place that those Victorian researchers were when they were discovering all of those invisible rays all the time. Today, it's not invisible rays that are blowing our minds, but instead, the reach of technology. Elon Musk is shooting things into space. We're about to have self-driving cars. Computers have shrunk down from the size of rooms to fit into our pockets. So why not telepathy? Only this time, instead of sensing the invisible waves that we send through the air, scientists are working on plugging things into the brain itself.
3: What we know at a fundamental level is that the brain is electrochemical, and the signals inside the brain happen through uh, electricity and chemistry. And then what we know beyond that is that we've managed to get signals in and out of human brains and animal brains. I'm Ramez Nam. I'm the author of the Nexus trilogy of sci-fi books about uh, brain-to-brain communication and how it changes society.
0: Ramez is also the author of a nonfiction book called More Than Human, Embracing the Promise of Biological Enhancement. And that book goes through a lot of the research and future possibilities for what we might be able to do in the realm of human enhancement. So let's talk about the future technology-based telepathy. There are two main things that scientists have to be able to do in order to successfully achieve brain-to-brain communication. The first is that we have to be able to figure out what the brain is saying. The second is that we have to be able to take that data and get it into another person's brain in a way that they can understand. For that second thing, we actually have some human examples. Probably the most famous is the cochlear implant.
3: We have a couple hundred thousand people that wear something called a cochlear implant. That's like a hearing aid, but it takes audio signals and directly puts electrical stimulus into the auditory nerve.
0: So what cochlear implants show is that we can gather information from the outside world, pipe it through wires to the brain, and have the brain actually understand what we are trying to tell it. Researchers who are working on brain-controlled prosthetics are interested in information going the opposite way, Instead of piping information into the brain, they want to gather information from the brain and feed that to a prosthetic arm. And they've been successful. There are now a handful of really high-tech prosthetics that can read brain signals and convert those signals into mechanical movement. But for real telepathy to work, we need something a bit more robust than that. We need something that can actually figure out what we're thinking. And for that, we have a couple of studies that we can look at. First, there's a study out of UC Berkeley that watched the brain as they showed subjects hours and hours of movie trailers, which honestly sounds like hell to me, but anyway. Using a brain imaging technique called fMRI, the researchers gathered up the signals from these poor people's brains and they tried to match up what the brain was doing with what the person was seeing. Using all of that data, they then built a system that could look at the signals coming out of the brain and try to guess what the person was seeing. And they got kind of close. The reconstructed images are really weird looking and blurry. But when you look at them next to their corresponding videos, you can totally see what they're getting at. But to really see where this brain-to-brain stuff is headed, we have to look at animal studies. So let's talk about rats. In a series of experiments, a team at the University of Southern California has managed to create a brain chip that helps rats remember. So here's how it works. Researchers record a rat's brain while it does a task. In this case, it's a pretty basic lever-pushing thing. If the rat pushes the right lever, it gets rewarded. If it pushes the wrong lever, it gets nothing. As the rat learns which lever to push, the researchers record its brain activity, and they encode that activity onto a chip. Then... They take that chip and they try to see what they can do with it. So first, they tried drugging the rats. So the part of their brain that remembers the task didn't work. So they put them in there, they try to do the task, and they can't do it. They can't remember. Then they took those rats and they put the brain chip in, the chip that has the information on it. And it worked. The rats could suddenly remember which lever was the right one. That same team later demonstrated a really similar thing in monkeys, this time with an image recognition task. When the monkeys were given a ton of cocaine, they got worse at the task, which makes sense. But if they were given a ton of cocaine and then also the brain chip, they performed just as well as the monkeys who weren't being dosed with cocaine. So the chip managed to encode a memory and then replay it into an animal's brain. You can think of this kind of like a player piano. The chip is the canister that you load in and it spins and presses the right keys of the brain. So we have proof of concept for a lot of the pieces here. We know we can look at the brain and get a picture of what someone is thinking. We know that we can encode information and get that information into a brain. And we know that we can link two brains up and have them experience and react to certain kinds of data coming in using a chip. All that said, we are still a long way away from true brain-to-brain communication. And one of the main barriers here is something that we've kind of glossed over so far, which is that all of this involves very intense brain surgery.
3: Unlike sort of magical telepathy in a fantasy novel, these systems require that you open up someone's skull and implant it in their brain. And that's serious business. I mean, that's a a very, very serious surgery. Um, And the way that they're communicating with the brain is metal electrodes. and Those electrodes actually do some damage to the very areas they're trying to uh, communicate with.
0: At some point, researchers hope that this brain surgery will get a bit less traumatic.
3: More of a, you know, 30-minute, one-hour surgery that's automated, uh, more like getting LASIK than a a multi-hour, big-deal surgery that it is today.
0: And there are some researchers out there who are working on things with very futuristic names, like neural dust.
3: Uh, And it actually communicates via ultrasonic waves inside the brain. So they sprinkle a whole bunch of these tiny, tiny, tiny sensors that are... Much, much smaller than a milligram. I mean, they're, they're itty-bitty. They're, they are like flecks of dust. They don't need wires between them. Instead, they communicate via ultrasonic waves inside the brain. And you'd have something that you wore on top of your head that used ultrasonic waves to actually send power and to receive data back from them.
0: But even these approaches that don't require embedding a chip into the soft, fleshy bits of your brain They still require brain surgery. You still have to open up the skull to get the thing inside. And brain surgery is no small thing, which is a ridiculous thing to even say. You already know that. Beyond the hardware question, though, there's also the question of what exactly these devices are hoping to do. Are we designing these devices to just provide an open stream of information coming out of the brain so that other folks can just read it? Or is this supposed to be more like texting, but with your brain instead of thumbs, where users can very specifically and meticulously craft a message and send it to someone else? Ramez imagines it as sort of somewhere in between.
5: I mean,
3: people are not going to tolerate a system where they can't have some degree of privacy and can't control what they send and don't send. I mean, it just it just wouldn't work. If everything you thought was being broadcast, nobody is really going to use that. Or maybe you tiny number of people would philosophically want that, but it's just not going to work out. So we want the ability to control um, what we transmit and don't and have some degree of privacy, but we also want something much richer than texting. You want to actually be able to convey your emotions about something. You want to be able to visualize something in your brain and say, what if it looked like this and have someone else see the same image? You want someone else to be able to experience what you're hearing or a snippet of memory you have with sight, touch, sense, um, abstract concepts even. That's much, much richer than texting. Um, But still, we want voluntary control over what we send and don't send.
0: But again, we're really far from that.
3: It's gonna be slow. It's gonna be decades, I would think. This is not like software. You know, in software and web services, we say, move fast and break things. Oh, just push it to the site. Oh, the site went down, that really sucks. this feature isn't working, that sucks. Fix it as fast as you can. We can't do that with a human brain. Like, that's just not okay. Uh, And so that do no harm, which is totally appropriate and totally necessary, is going to make this a fairly slow process, I think
0: but that doesn't mean that sci-fi thinkers can't dream, right? And Rames has also written science fiction books about telepathic technologies. His book Nexus, like he said, centers around a world where people are starting to open up their brains to these kinds of connections.
3: I thought, what technology is most going to change the human experience? And really, we live inside of our brains. So I was fascinated by what would happen if you could change your brain, that by itself is enormous, and what would happen to society if we could communicate much more richly um, from person to person.
0: So in his book series Nexus, there's this drug, which is also called Nexus, which lets people link brains.
3: It's sold as a street drug, uh, but the idea is that you get a silvery vial, you swallow it, and it's little nanoparticles that uh, cross the blood-brain barrier that are small enough to do so, and then self-assemble into little nanobots, little radios attached to your neurons. And you can use those, uh, if you can control them, to do various things inside your brain. But they also sync up person to person. So it's like uh, if you and I were in the same room and we had both swallowed a vial of this, we'd have almost a Wi-Fi connection between our brains.
0: And in the books, Ramez explores all of the various ways this kind of technology can change people, wreak havoc, and also foster real connections and improve people's lives.
3: So a lot of the positives are there. You know, People can communicate more easily with their loved ones. They can express themselves. It's pro-freedom of speech. Maybe it's pro-democracy. Um, but a lot of the negatives are there. What if somebody spies on you? What if This is technology in your brain. All technology is hackable. So what if instead of hacking into your emails, they hack into your thoughts and just buy on them? What if they can hack into your thoughts and change them? What if they can deliver propaganda more effectively? What if uh, instead of just spreading uh, peace and and love and brotherhood and sisterhood, which I think actually digital technology mostly does, (laughs) believe it or not, uh, this is also used to spread vitriol and hate.
0: But how do you make sure that it does spread peace and love and brotherhood and not hate and vitriol and violence? When we come back, we're going to talk about all of that and how telepathy might change etiquette, privacy, and more.
1: But first, a quick break. At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, empowering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com inventionage.
0: This episode of Flash Forward is brought to you in part by Purple Carrot. I have been vegetarian on and off for the last 15 years or so, and here is the sort of funny thing about being vegetarian or even vegan. People sort of assume that being vegetarian means that you eat these really great, healthy meals full of fresh fruits and vegetables all the time. But you know what is also vegetarian? Doritos and Diet Coke and mozzarella sticks and actually a lot of heavily processed, often fried foods, which, you know what? Sometimes that's the food your body wants, and that is fine. In flash forward land, no food is bad food. That said, if you are looking for some help changing up your vegetarian diet, purple carrot might be a great option for you. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Each week, choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. My favorite. I love snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste, just restaurant-quality plant-based meals. And if you want to try Purple Carrot out, I have good news for you. You can get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering the code FLASH at checkout today. That's purplecarrot.com. Enter the code FLASH for $30 off your first box. Purple carrot, the easiest way to eat more plants. So we're really far from telepathic brain implants, but they're also not a total impossibility. And we just heard from Nam about how this might work and what the possible wrinkles might be. But Ramez is an optimist. He believes that if we develop telepathy, it will open up the world and lead to better understanding and communication between people. But he also thinks that in order for us to avoid the dystopian versions of this future, we have to do it right. And to him, doing it right means doing it transparently.
3: If when you're developing a new technology, you're publishing about it, you're being transparent about how it works. Uh, if it's a software technology, letting people inspect the code, or at least you're bringing in people to look at it for things like privacy, security, hackability, uh, you're talking publicly and inviting you know, feedback on the ethics and so on, it just goes much better. If you read Michael Crichton books, there's a common plot device, which is scientists develop XYZ in secret, and really that's the, the first sin in the book, and that, that is what wrecks society.
0: The worry that tech companies might develop a telepathy machine in secret and then not tell you how it works or whether it's spying on you is a real one. And it's actually something that another one of our guests thinks about a lot.
6: So I think there is a really important conversation to be had about whether you have a right to secrecy and privacy in your thoughts when you're interfacing with a technology that's able to read them.
0: This is Kit Walsh, a staff lawyer at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. You might remember her from our episode on net neutrality. And she is back to talk about brain prosthetics, which is actually really fitting because brain technology is how she got into law in the first place.
6: I was studying neuroscience and brain computer interfaces as an undergrad when I started to learn about the way that the law treats your right to investigate and control your technology the way the law treats your privacy, your control over your devices. And as a scientist thinking about building brain-computer interfaces, the status quo is really troubling to me. And that's why I personally made the decision to go into civil liberties technology work.
0: So when we're all communicating brain to brain, there are some interesting and tricky legal situations that we might find ourselves in.
6: Because historically, both legally but also practically, the contents of your mind are something that's beyond the reach of the government. And that's historically just a a fact of nature. But technology has a way of changing historical facts of nature that require us to answer new legal questions.
0: These brain devices are going to be built and developed by companies, hardware companies, software companies companies who maybe don't necessarily have your best interest in mind. And that means that unlike when you're talking to someone out loud, your telepathic communication comes with some really big questions about who owns what and how much control you have over the device and services you're using.
6: That company could theoretically have access to the content of your communication, just like an email provider or a communications messaging service. If you don't have end-to-end encryption, which means that only you and the recipient are able to understand what you're saying, then the company can read it, could mine it for advertising or even government data requests. Then that's where new technology could introduce a new privacy vulnerability.
0: So there's the question of who owns the data that you're transmitting from your brain to someone else's brain. But there's also the question of the device itself and how much you're allowed to fiddle with it.
6: As devices are more and more integrated with your body and yourself, it becomes more urgent that you actually be able to investigate how they work. Um, repair them. But more importantly, that you have that transparency. So you can see what is this device actually doing? How is it constraining me? Is it spying on me? And if it is, how do I reprogram it so it's not doing that? This is what the right to repair movement is all about.
0: The right to repair movement is something that Kit and the EFF have been working on for a long time. Basically, companies don't want to let you fiddle with the thing that they sell you.
6: If they're able to prevent you from repairing your own iPhone, your own car, if they're able to prevent you from going to your favorite mechanic, you have to go to them. You have to buy their parts. You have to buy their services. And there's a large financial interest in being able to do that.
0: And companies are able to restrict your right to change and fix, say, your phone because of a funny rule in something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA. The DMCA is a law that is supposed to protect copyrighted work. So this is the law that says that you can't rip movies off a DVD and give them to people. You can't download music for free online. You can't grab official images and just use them for whatever you want. That kind of thing.
6: So what that means in the technology context is when there's software in a device, it's probably copyrighted. When the manufacturer puts in a technology like encryption that keeps you from looking at that software, then not only is there a technological barrier, but this law kicks in this law that was intended to prevent people from ripping and infringing DVDs. This law kicks in to keep you from looking at the code that runs the devices in your lives.
0: Now, this doesn't just apply to movies or your phone. There is software in tons of things these days, like, for example, your car.
6: You know, for decades, people have repaired their own cars. People have come up with cool new features that you can add to cars. Um, Catalytic converters, which reduce emissions, were a third-party independent user innovation. So have been safety features. But
0: today, you actually might not be allowed to open up your car and fix it yourself. In fact, your favorite mechanic might not even be able to do certain things to fix your car. And that's because your car probably has some kind of software in it. And when you want to repair your car, you have to interface with that software, either to diagnose the problem or to make sure the new part works with the car, or even just to tell the car, hey, I replaced the tire, we're good. And the software is protected by the DMCA, which means that doing any of those things has gotten really tricky.
6: So the consequence is that auto manufacturers think they have the right to tell you that you're violating their copyright. If you repair your own car, they think they have the right to tell your mechanic that they need permission from the manufacturer if they're going to repair their cars.
0: The right to repair your own car is actually an ongoing battle that the EFF is fighting. But now let's imagine that the device in question isn't your car, but rather it's your brain prosthetic. Something that literally plugs into your brain and can read and transmit your thoughts.
6: If I'm going to plug something into my brain, I want to, first of all, know what it's doing. I want to be able to look at, inspect that software, both to see what it's programmed to do, but also so that I, or frankly, someone who's smarter than me can go and take a look and see if there are security vulnerabilities in the way that it's programmed that's going to open me up to hacking. Two- I want to be able to take it to somebody I trust to get it fixed. I don't necessarily want to have to go back to the original manufacturer. If they go out of business, then I sure want to be able to take it to someone else in order to get it repaired. And if there's something cool that I've come up with or someone else has come up with that I want to be able to do with my technology, then I want to be able to install that new software or plug that new device in without needing to get permission from the manufacturer.
0: So when we first start to see these devices on the market, Kit hopes that users push for their ability to really know what they're plugging into their minds.
6: This is a choice that we have about what shape the future is going to take. Are we going to be in a future where our freedom is enhanced by our technology, where it makes us better able to connect and communicate? Or are we instead going to be in a future where we can only choose from a menu of options that the manufacturer has programmed in for us? So if you think of Star Trek, are we going to be the Federation or are we going to be the Borg?
0: The Federation or the Borg? The choice is yours, my dear listeners. And if you're a pessimist, which I can sometimes be, you might look around and see all of the ways that people are letting companies like Amazon and Facebook and Google spy on them all the time and think that we're doomed, that we'll probably choose the Borg. But Kit actually thinks that because of the intensity of brain prosthetics as a concept, we're actually going to be much more careful about privacy when we start to plug things into our minds.
6: People have a visceral reaction to brain technology, even when that brain technology isn't really getting information that's more sensitive than what you type into uh, your email or your Facebook chats. So, my hope is that that visceral reaction to oh, it's reading my brain and what I want to communicate to someone else. This feels creepy. I wish that I had more privacy here. My hope would be that that would translate into another context if people realize that they're giving the same information to to Google and Facebook.
0: So let's say that we're in this future. And let's give us all the benefit of the doubt and say that we chose the side of the Federation. What is the etiquette for brain-to-brain communication? Is it like texting or is it like calling? As someone who is constantly convinced that I am going to mess up some social situation, I am already anxious about being accidentally rude telepathically. So to guide our way in this future, I called up an etiquette expert.
4: Sure. My name is Robin Abrams, and I write the misconduct social advice column in the Boston Globe. I've done that for over 10 years. And I'm also a research psychologist. The first time someone sends a telepathic wedding invitation, I will get a letter about that. Well, in my day, we sent an invite on Facebook like civilized people did.
0: Robin says that as long as we can actually pick and choose what we send telepathically, it actually wouldn't be a huge thing to
4: adapt to. Telepathy would just be another form of communication technology, akin to social media, writing letters, anything else besides speech that we do. It's just another way of communicating. So it would play out in kind of the same way that the introduction of any new technology does. Nobody would kind of know the rules initially, then they'd figure them out. There'd be early adopters, late adopters, people who carped about, you know, what happened to just opening your mouth and talking? Kids these days with their brain-to-brain communications. (laughs) Um, You know, there'd be all of that that would play out. And that's one thing I also wonder about any kind of telepathy technology. What kind of existing skills might it erode if we came to rely on it too much? You know, like over-reliance on GPS does degrade people's ability to find their own way around unaided.
0: But we would have to figure out a couple of new things. Like, when you're communicating with someone telepathically, do you still, like, nod your head and go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, and make hand gestures?
4: I think we would. Like, my gut instinct on that is that we would because I think it's almost a biological instinct that we have. And also, mothers would still do that with their babies. Caretakers, not just mothers, but, you know, caretakers do this with babies, that they mirror them. They, they do turn-taking kind of things with them. That's not going to go away. And you're not going to be giving babies these telepathic implants, like, at birth. That, that, that's, that's, that's total dystopia territory. <laughs> but there would be this experience of doing that in early life that I think would probably set the pattern and people would continue. I don't think you just have people robotically staring at each other. That just, <laughs> does, that just doesn't feel like what we are as animals.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like even when I'm on the phone with someone, like even as you're talking, like we're not looking at each other, but I'm nodding my head. And But I mean, visually, that is so, and I imagine that in a, you know, coffee shop or something and people are doing that, but not speaking. It's like, it's a really interesting picture.
4: It would be. It would be. It would be like those videos where, you know, Kevin Bacon is dancing in Footloose, but they strip out the music. <laughs> and it's the most <laughs> hilarious thing you've ever seen. <laughs>
0: A couple of minutes later in our conversation, Robin actually came back to this point and wound up changing her mind.
4: The thing you said, and I agreed with you at the time, but, you know, now a whopping three minutes later into the future, I do not, um, that it would be weird to go into a coffee shop and just sort of see people having like, physical conversations but not talking. I, it would seem weird for maybe about five years. And then it wouldn't seem weird at all.
0: It's kind of like if you're on the subway and you see someone with headphones in and they're laughing to themselves kind of quietly. You might have once thought that they were really weird. But now you probably think, oh, maybe they're listening to a funny podcast. In other words, we would get used to it eventually. And then we'd all start complaining about the little details of
4: the system. You know what would drive everybody absolutely nuts? If when people were thinking about you but not sending you a message, you would get that little three dots thing. It's bad enough when you see somebody do that on Facebook or text or something. Like, they're going to say something, but then they don't.
0: But we'd have to set boundaries on this, too, for our own mental health.
4: Oh, no. You know what the worst abuse of this would be? I'm I'm quite serious. This is something that, like, there would have to be laws. Mm. Your boss cannot connect with you telepathically after work hours. Oh, yeah, true. That would make everyone's life—I mean, can you imagine, like, you know— your boss has a genius idea at three in the morning and he wants to, you know.
0: Oh. <laughs> I can't imagine is the problem. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if editors will be like, I only take pitches via telepathy.
4: <laughs> that would be awesome for a if you just lie on your couch. Just what freelance writers need, an excuse to use our bodies even less than we do.
0: But having the communication come out of your head does kind of change the kinds of things you might send.
4: And just something tells me that like with something as personal as like, I'm just thinking this inside my head. I mean, there are still, you know, really sophisticated people who just get seduced into feeling like Twitter is a private conversation, no matter how many times it's been demonstrated that it's not. And so I think people would very quickly get into the habit of sharing very personal things via some sort of brain to brain transfer, which would make, the occasional misfire just that much worse.
0: I can already tell that I will probably be very bad at telepathy. Yeah, I'm also a terrible texter because I'm always like, oh, if I like respond now, then we have to have a whole conversation. And I don't really want to do that right now. So like, I'll just wait and then I just never
4: reply. Right. And, and any kind of telepathy is just going to be more of the same. With that, And it would just be like one more channel that we have that you have to keep track of, like, oh, this person likes to text, this person likes emails, this person likes telepathy. You know, it's just one more thing to keep track of.
0: Now, Robin might worry that this will degrade our ability to communicate verbally out of our face holes. But maybe we just over-prioritize verbal speech to the detriment of those who might not be able to communicate that way.
5: I think humans fully has the capacity to recognize and embrace alternative forms of communication.
0: This is Latif McLeod.
5: I am Latif McLeod, and I am currently a doctoral student in the Anthropology and Social Change Program at California Institute for Integral Studies.
0: Latif is also a poet and a writer.
5: And I have a poetry book published called The Declaration of a Body of Love and I am working on another poetry book and a novel.
0: As you can probably tell, Latif mostly doesn't speak using his vocal cords. He uses something called an AAC device, which stands for augmentative and alternative communication.
5: Be a machine that allows people who have complex communication needs to speak understandably to people.
0: AAC devices come in all kinds of forms. The most basic ones are just picture books, where people can point at certain things to communicate kind of basic concepts or desires. You could also get a handheld AAC device, which generally looks kind of like an iPad, but the only thing that it does is generate speech. But recently there have been improvements such that people can just load up AAC apps on their phones and tablets. And that's how Latif spoke to me, using an app on his phone.
5: AAC technology has become so sophisticated that I am now using an AAC app on my phone to speak to you now.
0: People can use these AAC devices in all kinds of ways. Sometimes they come with pictograms. Sometimes they predict words and phrases as you go. Other people type out words letter by letter. Sometimes it's a combination of all of those things. The device says each word as you pick it, and then at the end of the sentence, it will say the whole sentence at once. So here is what Latif sounds like in real time.
5: Yes. sounds cool to me. It just sounds cool to me.
1: Now, even
0: though the app that Latif uses is way more sophisticated than the picture books that his parents used to make for him to use, he says that it still sometimes constrains what he wants to say.
5: I think maybe I try to abbreviate What I am attempting to say sometimes because of the mode in which I communicate.
0: So when I asked him if he'd be interested in skipping the AAC device entirely and just linking up to someone's brain, he was like, sign me up.
5: How do I get the brain implant? I will be very excited because from my perspective levels in playing field, I am hoping it will make the relationships between my family and friends and myself more stronger.
0: Even if the implant involves a brain surgery, Latif is still interested.
5: I will wait until several people do it ahead of me. I hope it will be kind of like how the Jedi communicate using telepathy that will be cool.
0: Now, of course, Latif does not speak for every disabled person, right? He's ready to communicate brain to brain. But other communities have already pushed back on some related technologies. The deaf community, for example, has raised questions about the ways in which cochlear implants might erode deaf culture. So it's a real question as to how something like telepathy might change the ways these communities are organized and communicate with one another. And certainly, if we had telepathy, disabled folks would be pressured into using it, even if they don't want to. But at least for some people, this whole concept would be a vast improvement on the ways in which our current culture forces them to communicate. And I think that that's worth highlighting. So we know that Latif is ready to sign up. But what about our other guests?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I would like to. I don't want to be on the V one, uh, but maybe the V three. And you know, if you go back in time, like you didn't want to be in Windows V one, but Windows, you know, V three was pretty decent. Windows four was Windows ninety five. That was okay.
6: I think honestly, what I what I would do if I had this telepathy is I'd have a channel. While we're talking verbally, I'd also have a telepathic channel to send you cat gifs, basically, and memes. So I would send little pics that illustrate um, what I'm saying, because that's something that I can do online. I'm used to that form of communication, but I don't get to do that when I'm talking to people in person. I don't actually have a little like flip book of cat GIFs yet that I can pull out to uh, to show people. So I, I would I would use a telepathic channel for that.
0: And what about you? Would you open up your brain to communicate with other people telepathically? What kinds of messages and feelings would you send? Would you rate this podcast highly on Apple Podcasts using only your mind? I hope you would. That's all for this episode of Flash Forward. And also that's all for this season of Flash Forward. Ah, we did it. This season, we looked at everything from fake news to California seceding from the U.S. to robotic cops to all of the bees in the world dying. We made a super religion using a machine learning algorithm and wondered what it would be like to date based only on brainwaves. It was fun, I think. I had fun. And I hope you did, too. So the show is on a break now until about April, but you can catch me on tour with Pop-Up Magazine in February. Go to popupmagazine.com for tour locations and dates. If you want to keep up with Flash Forward while I'm on this break, get behind-the-scenes information about what's going on, and get previews of season four, the best way to do that is on Patreon. Or you can follow Flash Forward on Twitter and Facebook, but you get less information than if you donate a little bit of money on Patreon, and then you get all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Hussolonia. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send me a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, email me there too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that. Head to flashforwardpod.com support for more about how to give money. But if money is not in the cards for you, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. Or just tell your friends about the show. It really does help. That's all for this future. Come back next season and we'll travel to a whole bunch of new ones. Bye.